and welcome to Conversations in Momentum, brought to you by the teams at Momentum Transport Consultancy and Momentum Transport Canada. I'm Amelie Kurs. I'm Katie Mokowski. And I'm Joe Tang. Now we've got quite a special situation today as we have all three of our podcast hosts here. For those of you who listen to the podcast regularly, you'll know that we usually take it in turns and rotate the hosting duties amongst us. So from a personal perspective, it's absolutely lovely to have the three of us together today. Absolutely true, especially as it's been a little while since I hosted a podcast. So we've been very busy in Canada with our team, bringing new members uh, on board and working on some really exciting projects for our clients. So I'm really excited to be joining you today. So great to have you, Amelie. Uh, And Joe, I think it's worth saying that today you have a foot in both camps, so to speak, uh, as you've been really involved with the initiative that we're going to talk about during the podcast. Um, And we're looking forward to hearing some of your thoughts too. Yeah, I'm happy to contribute where I can. I've, I've definitely not been as involved as our guest on the podcast, but I'll, I'll chip in where I can on the conversation. Um, for today's podcast, we're delighted to welcome our colleague, Kana Namoto. Kana is a senior consultant at Momentum and is also a leading member of our sustainability group. She's a veteran to the podcast, having joined us around this time last year to share the results of Momentum's annual transport sustainability summary. So, Kana, welcome back. It's great to have you with us today. And we're looking forward to hearing all about this year's sustainability results. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Yeah, Kana, thanks so much for joining. Um, wondering if you could please start us off by sort of reminding us how the idea uh, for Momentum's bespoke environmental impact assessment tool came about and what specific challenges or gaps in existing analysis you're aiming to address with its development. Yeah, of course. Um, so sustainability is really key to everything we do at Momentum. Um, so we've got an, an internal working group with members across our planning and engineering teams, um, across team members with different years of experience as well, um, where we sort of discuss how we can continue to link our client sustainability agenda with um, transport mobility related measures and the work that we do at Momentum. Um, so as part of that group, we've developed a tool that calculates the potential carbon savings achieved through transport. Um, and we've continued to refine this tool due to change in data sets and different assumptions. Um, but also beyond that, every year we try to look across our project work um, and draw out the impact from a sustainability perspective beyond sort of the numbers, but also quality of public realm that they're delivering, um, how much cycle parking space is, how it compares to the industry standard. Um, and hopefully we can use that information to inform best practice um, and the way we approach our projects and the work in the industry going forwards as well. That's great. Thank you for the introduction on that. Um, and I was wondering if you could share some of the key features and methodologies that are incorporated into the environmental impact assessment tool and more specifically what sets it apart from other solutions. Uh, we'd really like to know how it can contribute to a more comprehensive understanding of sustainability and transportation projects overall. Yeah, so the key feature of this tool is comparing um, what's, let's say, the typical or in transport planning, we often say the baseline uh, mode share of a proposed development and then comparing that with the mode share that's been proposed as part of the application. Um, so more broadly, we're trying to assess or kind of question, have we reduced the proportion of trips from carbon generating modes? So that's mainly your cars and taxis 
um, and then increasing the proportion of trips from non-carbon generating modes. So the main ones would be walking and cycling, um, but public transport as well, as they have a lower emission than, say, the private car, um, which of course remains important. Um, so I think I've said this maybe in last year's podcast episode, but it's important to remember that this is all a theoretical carbon saving, um, given that the schemes that we're reviewing are not on the ground just yet. Um, but I think it's really important to know that these are schemes and applications that are supported by local authorities having got their consent and approval for, from highways officers um, and accepting the motor that we proposed. And so I think there can be a lot of work that goes into designing a scheme um, that justifies this mode share that we propose, which is more comparably more sustainable than what the baseline um, might be. So, but yeah, you, you asked about how it sets apart from other assessments or how it could set apart. Um, I think it would be fantastic in the future to hopefully get data on what the travel patterns to these sites are um, and compare it against that and how it compares what we forecasted at planning. Um, so obviously that's a very, very long-term vision, um, but it's, I think, something that the industry is doing now through travel planning surveys and monitoring. Um, and I think it would be really interesting to see how these patterns um, change over time. So say if you calculate the carbon emissions from transport for a building that provides high quality cycle parking spaces with one that provides none, um, or say a residential development that provides two parking spaces per household versus one parking space and see what sort of travel behaviours that result in. Um, so yeah, I think going forward, there's other elements as well of a scheme, such as the number of trees planted or public ground improvements, which we do already capture and seeing if we're able to get a methodology that quantifies carbon emissions from those enhancements and integrate that into our tool um, would be, yeah, something cool to look into in the future. Wow, amazing, Connor. That's really, really interesting. Um, I feel that as transport planners, so often we're used to quantifying things like modal shift, but um, equally the analysis can often just sort of stop there given the nature of development planning. Um, and it's just so amazing to think about a tool that allows us to quantify then the kind of add-on impacts of that in terms of CO2 savings. Um, I think we mentioned during the last episode that we're looking at kind of doing a similar piece of work on quantifying the, the economic impact of public realm enhancement. Um, and when we just think about sort of communicating the, the value of our work, you know, beyond um, sort of the, the material delivery impact of the scheme, but the add-on impact of that, that's really so powerful. Um, so looking back on the summary that was published in November 2022, then, um, I know that this focused on four schemes that we worked on within the office um, and which achieved planning consent. Is that right? Yeah, I was, I was just having a little look at that list in the background, actually. Um, so the projects from last year were Museum of London, Tavi's Inn, Holborn Viaduct and Olympia. So a really, really strong list of projects there. Amazing. Thanks, Joe. And so then I understand that this year's summary sort of builds upon that, um, highlighting our work across five schemes then that achieve planning consent. Um, and these include Red Lion Court, Cheney's Street, 21 Bloomsbury Street, 7 Princess Street and 85 Gracechurch Street. Yes. Yeah. Those are the five schemes that have made it into our um, assessment this year. So it's great that they've all received, uh, received planning permission. Um, so when we ran through those no the numbers for those, um, this year's summary stands at a daily saving of over 3,000 net tons of CO2 emissions and a yearly saving of over 
800,000 net tons of the CO2 emissions. Yeah, wow, it's incredible. That sounds great. It's a huge number, isn't it? Really interesting. And um, it would be quite good to understand that if you're noticing anything that is sort of changing and shifting between the assessment that was done last year and this year um, and any sort of comparisons or, or themes you're able to draw from, from looking at the evolution of this assessment as well? Yeah, so um, when we kind of looked at the group of projects this year and last year and how the numbers have changed, I think it was certainly interesting to know that all the schemes this year um, have will ha have the potential to achieve carbon saving through mode shift, which wasn't quite the case in the set of projects last year. Um, and as well, well, I guess what drives that is that there was a greater shift towards walking and cycling compared to the baseline, which obviously helps to reduce that potential carbon emissions as those are entirely net zero forms of movement and transport. Um, but something else that we picked up was that all projects, apart from one this year, um, had a consolidation strategy proposed as part of that as part of his application, um, which meant that we could do that similar calculation. So rather from a visitor mode shift perspective, um, looking at the potential amount of carbon saving through the reduction of delivery trips to the site, which I do think, um, just from experience, has become more and more at the forefront of both developers and local authorities' minds um, within the past year or so. Um, but yeah, I think as well, it's worth noting that sort of in general, all these projects that we've assessed have been in central London, where there is a much stronger policy incentive um, to deliver cycle parking and these wider public realm improvements and sort of go for these more ambitious mode share targets, um, which isn't necessarily the case in less urban locations. And we do have a few ongoing as well as past schemes that sort of sit outside this more dense urban central London type place. So I think it would be really interesting to see what we've been able to achieve through those schemes um, and kind of compare it to that to their local context. Um, yeah, so that's a really good point. Yeah. I was going to open up to, you know, anyone else if they've seen any changes on projects that they've been working on. It, it definitely feels like it, doesn't it? I mean, that, like you said, you know, a lot of the the London-centric schemes are sort of focusing far more on things like cycle parking. We're, we're putting far more of that in the developments that we're proposing. Um, there's a lot more of a focus on things like the cargo bikes use for last mile deliveries and, and like you said, consolidated deliveries and things like that. Um, but yeah, a really good point there. That it'd be interesting to see the outer London proposals as well as the the inner ones or even um what's happening in in montreal we're not really there with the those kind of uh, of evolutions but for example i we've worked on a scheme here where we we did a study there to demonstrate that we didn't need to build more parking with the development and that we could just really optimize the existing parking that was there so in itself it's a measure to kind of uh provide more of an environmental impact and reduce the greenhouse gas emissions, but not necessarily a car-free development, but at least, you know, not building more parking in a in a city center location is is what we're trying to achieve here. It all helps, doesn't it? Exactly. <laughs> One step at a time. Yeah. That's been really interesting, Karna. Thank you so much. 
Um, I've got one last question for myself before we wrap things up, if that's all right. And it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on whether there'd be any plans to adapt or update this environmental impact assessment tool as sustainability practices evolve. Um, and also linking into that, be really interested to get your thoughts on how you see the tool that you've created here influencing the broader sustainability conversation and sustainability decisions in transportation and in the engineering industry as a whole going forward. Yeah, I think um, the tool will always adapt, as mentioned before, from new data sources um, and hopefully identifying new ways of measuring carbon generated from transport. Um, and at Momentum, we're obviously very aware of the impact that transport as a sector has on carbon emissions and the general sort of sustainability of cities and urban spaces in particular. And I think another example of how we've responded to this is through um, a consultation response that we submitted for the City of London's whole lifecycle carbon optioneering planning advice note last year, um, where we noticed that transport was absent in the proposed methodology of sort of measuring the amount of carbon emitted from the use stage of a building. And we looked a little bit closer into this and noticed that what the City of London did was use the method um, proposed by RICS in their method of carbon assessment, um, which itself doesn't include the transport of people. So we said in our response that whilst we recognise it's very, it is a very tricky thing to capture um, and sort of find a consistent methodology, I guess, across the industry to agree on. We are still, a, you know, a bit far away from that, I think. But um, having had a stab our own tool, I think, um, that it sort of raised that there is value in capturing these emissions from commuter and other vehicular trips. Um, and it's important to sort of recognize this through an optioneering exercise, which was the purpose of this advice note that they had issued and that these elements should be considered at the planning stage. Um, but on top of that, as, as I mentioned again before, there is also the delivery and servicing trips that can similarly be influenced through the planning um, of a building and the actual design and engineering elements itself that, that go into it. Um, so, yeah, this point was recognised by, by the city um, and the team that was developing this optioneering um, guidance note. And from my understanding, it didn't make it into the final version of the guidance note, but I think it's something that we should consider going forwards. Um, and as well, sort of taking a step back and looking at this topic more broadly, um, there, there does need to be, I think, a more strong policy incentive to achieve transport decarbonisation. Um, and London and sounds like Montreal as well is hopefully heading in the right direction. Um, you know, there's always more to be done, but having the right tools and guidance in place to the, sort of shape the way that buildings are retrofitted or master plans are designed, um, I think can be influential. And then this kind of, you know, all contributes to achieving buying from the public to then adapt their travel behaviours where possible um, and hopefully sort of facilitates this two-way process of policy shaping individuals and places, but also individuals and places responding to the policies and kind of having that two-way engagement. Well, that's that's inspiring. And thank you, kind of sharing your your thoughts and those incredible numbers. It's just so powerful to see to see them and to hear how we've impacted in, in terms of the schemes that we've worked on. And I really do find it inspiring that the assessment of carbon 
emissions and reductions from our schemes is something that we've ingrained into our practice as transport planners. I think it's also a, a shift that I hope, you know, every transport planner is, is doing in their work and that we, we can we can develop this further as, as we go. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us today. Yeah, Amelia, I absolutely agree. Thank you so much, Connor, for joining us. Um, I think it's really incredible to have done a piece of research that establishes really a direct link uh, between modal shift and carbon saving. Um, honestly, from even like an academic or industry literature perspective, I think that could contribute a lot um, to broader research on how we meet net zero targets. Um, and Connor, as you mentioned, um, I think when we think about those larger policy targets, um, it really points to the fact that um, the decarbonization of the transport sector is kind of the, the one of the key ways to to reach net zero goals. So that's incredible. Um, as you said at the beginning, it's really at the core of all the work that we do at Momentum. You know, trying to incentivize active travel, um, thinking about vehicle congestion, how it impacts on air quality, how logistics play a part in that. Um, but so powerful to have sort of a, a bit of research that quantifies the impact of that and um, gives us a, a goal to try to chase for next year. So thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. And and from a uh, selfish perspective from the engineering team, it'd be also great to be talking about the sort of public realm improvements and elements like that as well, wouldn't it? You know, that's that's another huge um, positive that, that we can all work to bring through in the future. So, um, yeah, really, really interesting. Thank you very much, everyone, for, for a really great podcast. And Listeners, um, if you'd like to know more about the annual sustainability summary, you can find it on our website at www.momentum-transport.com, where you'll see it in a link on our homepage. And we've also published it on all of our social media channels, including LinkedIn, Instagram, and X, brackets, formerly Twitter. Um, last but not least, huge thank you to Karna for joining us today and sharing that really important piece of work. That was really great to hear about. Thank you. It's no problem at all. Thanks, everyone. It's been, been great to be back and really enjoyed chatting with you. And as always, you can find all of our previous podcast episodes and new episodes that were published as we go at momentum-city.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Just search for Conversa Conversations in Momentum and follow the podcast so that you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.